Premier Christian Newscast. Graphic lessons on oral sex, how to choke your partner safely, and the existence of 72 different genders. According to the Christian MP Miriam Cates, these are just some of the things appearing in sex education classes up and down the country. According to her campaign, a radical progressive ideology has infiltrated sex and relationships education. In response to her lobbying, the Prime Minister has said he would bring forward a review into sex education in schools to ensure they are not teaching, quote, inappropriate or contested content. But is this really something we should be worried about? What are children actually being taught about sex, gender and identity at school? Should Christian parents be joining any campaigns to supposedly de education? Or is this all just a right-wing culture war talking point we should steer well clear of? I'm Tim Wyatt and you're listening to the Premier Christian Newscast. This week, I'm joined by a youth worker, a Christian teacher and a community paediatrician to try and pick through the furore on this incredibly sensitive and controversial topic and discuss what actually the church should be doing to ensure our children are getting good teaching on sexuality, gender, identity and relationships. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for joining us, everyone, on the podcast. Um, could I start by asking you each just to briefly introduce yourself and say a little bit about who you are and what you do? Um, Lizzie, let's start with you. So I'm Lizzie Harewood. I work for the Association of Christian Teachers um, as their executive officer, so kind of leading day-to-day um, happenings of the organisation. But I was a secondary school teacher for 12 years, and I worked as an English teacher up to A-level. Brilliant. Um, Nick, who are you? Hi, um, I work as the Assistant Minister for Families, Youth and Children uh, in an Anglican church in South East London. Uh, I was, for a much briefer period, a secondary school teacher uh, before I did that. Awesome. And Julie, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Hi. Um, so I'm not a teacher. Um, I am a community paediatrician. Um, I've been doing that for about 20 years. Um, I also, for about 15 years, I was a primary school governor, so I have uh, some experience of education that way. Um, And I work for Lovewise, which is a Christian um, charity which provides resources on relationships, sex education um, for schools, youth groups and parents from a Christian perspective. Brilliant. Um, I'm really pleased you guys are all on the show. I'm really looking forward to hearing what what you all have to say on this really kind of sensitive, contested, but important topic. Um, before we kind of launch into the discussion, I guess it would be good to kind of explain a little bit for people who haven't been in schools recently. What exactly does kind of sex and relationships education look like in the, the English, I imagine, school curriculum today? Um, Lizzie, do you want to start with that one? What, 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 are te- what are teachers teaching? What are kids kind of expected to receive? So that's a really tricky question uh, because there isn't a national curriculum for sex education and and relationships education. However, there are certain expectations. Um, The law changed in September 2020, and the new law applies to all schools. Primary schools must teach relationships education to all pupils. Um, And that is a kind of a mixture of um, things that are to do with relationships, to do with um, safety, informing, maintaining relationships, healthy relationships, how relationships affect physical, mental health and well-being, um, etc. And then in secondary school, um, they must teach relationships and sex education. Primary schools can choose to deliver sex education. But as I said, there's there's some guidance but there's not a national curriculum. Um, So that's part of the problem, in my opinion, why there's been an influx of all kinds of um, involvement from outside providers who have tried to interpret what the guidance says and then given their own ideological spin on a lot of what they deem to be appropriate curriculum. So does that mean that it can literally vary from 
class to class, school to school, teacher to teacher, what young people are learning. Nick, you're nodding your head. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, I've got teachers in who are, come to our church who are landed with the job, landed with the job of teaching sex education, relationships education to their students. They've had no training and they're given a pack and teach this. And so that just means it, it really does vary person to person, how much freedom they have to, to stick with it very, very closely or to expand on it. And it doesn't really seem like anybody's checking uh, what, what they're doing, let alone the various people that are coming into schools. But you understand why people are coming into schools, because the school looks around and says, we're asking our teachers who we haven't trained to teach this material. Well, they're not ready. They don't feel equipped. They don't want to. So it'd be much easier for us to get someone else to come in and help us out with this. So it it makes total sense. But of course, people that want to provide this, they're not just doing it simply because they have a uh, somehow some sort of objective view of delivering some facts. They're coming with a particular position to uh, defend, put forward. um, And that might not actually be a terrible thing. But it would be really useful if at least all of those ideological um, presuppositions, those those things, those ideologies, those things that they're wanting to put forward were made very clear so that people could understand what's actually being taught. So what, what are these outside providers then? Are they a mixture of kind of charities? Are they pressure groups, lobby groups? Are they kind of well-informed individuals who 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 are who is producing this material and, and how does the quality of that material kind of vary would you say yeah so there's there's numerous different organizations many have started out as pressure groups as as lobbyists which in itself is is quite concerning um because of the uh the necessity for for teachers not to be promoting partisan political views and and to impartially represent different political beliefs. Um, some of the the most well known are those such as Stonewall, um, Mermaids, but there's a whole host. And actually, since the law changed, there's been um, an explosion in independent providers that are selling their materials to schools. There's um, Educate and Celebrate. Hmm. Um, Split Banana, Bish, Pop and Ollie, they're all pretty eminent. And, um, but I would say that not all of these materials are being provided just by um, organisations that are set up for this sole purpose. There are organisations and online providers that have a very long and kind of tried and tested reputation that produce all kinds of materials such as twinkle and i think every primary school teacher in the country must have used twinkle resources at some point who are also now providing some quite concerning resources um on things like gender identity and a multitude of other topics as well so it's not just the kind of the providers we hear about in the media such as you know mermaids and that there's a lot of controversial um stuff about them in the media it's also some of the more mainstream um, providers as well, PSHE Association. And again, there will be a bit of a spectrum. Um, and not all providers are as bad as some, but a lot of them are buying into, to, cert- to a certain extent, um, some of these, these problematic ideologies and presenting them as fact. And a, an example of one of those kind of resources would be this obviously aimed at primary school um, students is that one of these providers I've got the book retells the Cinderella story but it it reinterprets it Um, and so you have uh, a girl a biological girl um, who goes through um, the kind of Cinderella story she really enjoys all sorts of things like mechanics and football and um, things like that her um, brothers head off to the ball but she's not allowed to go. Her fairy godmother comes along and says, you shall go to the ball. And and she goes, puts her in a dress and she goes, oh, I'm actually not that comfortable with that. She goes, that's because you were never really a girl anyway. You're actually a boy. Do you remember? You really like mechanics and football. Therefore, you are in fact a boy. 
tra- changes her into being dressed in a dinner dinner jacket and says off to the ball with you and she happily ever after and that's nuts that's just that's simply nuts isn't it i thought we spent a really really long time talking about the fact that these stereotypical activities that we associate with boys and girls aren't actually the thing that makes someone male or female at all and our biology lessons all say that like we we know that and then you've got this coming in from left field to to children who are really very very young read this story and and there's your answer now is that sex education is that relationships education uh, it seems to me incredibly confusing and really unhelpful and put forward in actually quite a duplicitous manner. And it's not landing in a vacuum, is it? Um, Julie, you know, you, you, you see children sometimes in your practice and you're aware of more who are kind of questioning their gender identity. Does some of that, is that some of that triggered, do you think, by stuff they're hearing at school? Or is it at least exacerbated by the kind of ambiguous messaging they might be hearing at school? I mean, yeah, I think absolutely the, you know, the the messaging they're hearing at school, you know, really doesn't help. So, you know, for a child, you know, say a a three-year-old or a four-year-old, for example, you know, it's quite normal for them to dress up. So, you know, so it could be quite normal for a three-year-old boy to dress up in a princess dress or, you know, frozen Elsa dress or, or whatever it is you know and 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 that that's normal it doesn't mean that they're not a boy or that they're not going to grow up and be like boy type things even um but of course in the in the context we're in now a child that does that somebody might quite easily say well may, maybe they're actually a girl after all um and then children are then taught to question so you know up until about the age of seven children have what's called, still have what's called um, magical thinking as part of development. Um, And they think that if you dress up as something, you become it. So that's why a lot of young children are actually quite terrified of people dressed up in in fancy dress or or, or whatever, you know, clowns and things like that, because they actually believe that somebody becomes that. So they actually believe that if a boy puts on a dress, that at that moment he becomes a girl because they don't understand what being a boy or a girl is. And that's where we have to teach them biology that actually what being a boy or a girl is, is your biology, it's your body, it's it's how you're made. Um, and, and that's the responsibility that schools should have um, and parents to teach children that and not to cause them to question um, or to think that they could be something else or could become something else. Um, because clearly a boy cannot become a girl, a girl cannot become a boy. Um, and that's not helpful to teach them that. What rights, if any, do parents have around the the sex and relationship education their children receive at school, either in primary or secondary? Is this an, is this a subject you can kind of opt out of if you wish to? So, to a certain extent, yes, it is, and um, the law does specifically require schools to excuse primary age students from all sex education if uh, a parent requests it. It's different in secondary. Um, And they can be um, withdrawn from the sex education element of RSE. um, And schools must, again, grant this request unless there's some very exceptional circumstance, depending on their age, though. So if I think a child is three terms or less away from their 16th birthday and the child wants to receive sex education, then um, then they can. However, the automatic right of withdrawal does not apply to relationships education. And this is where it becomes a bit more of a minefield because there are certain elements of the curriculum um, that some schools use that are quite problematic that might be included within relationships education that um, I as a parent would not want my child being exposed to that may not be technically sex education. You've got to remember though, it doesn't matter what the, the lesson is called, it's the content that matters. Um, so just because the school do not deem this to be part of sex education does not mean that it isn't. Um, and it doesn't mean that they also shouldn't have consulted fully with parents. So all schools do have or will have had a requirement to consult with parents and school community um, about the content of their sex and relationships education um, curriculum, about their policy And that should have been done before it was published. And then it should also be accessible on their website to view. And I think in good faith, um, 
there should be an ongoing dialogue as well. I, I don't think that once that's published, even if it has been consulted on, I think if you know there's there's clear concerns from a, from a number of parents um, about the content of that, then it should be under review um, continuously. I think especially given the concerns that have rightly been raised in Parliament at the moment, and in fact that's something that um, uh, we managed to do with our our because I'm not a teacher at the moment, I am a parent, and uh, we managed to raise some of these concerns really quite successfully um, at our local school. Hmm. I think I think one can extra concern actually is, is the fact that a lot of this stuff isn't even confined to actual relationships and sex education or the relationships sex education curriculum i was just doing some research yeah. this morning for an article and um and I, I was looking at um the rainbow flag awards website um and they and, and other organizations as well you know their aim is to embed this stuff into the curriculum so you might have a lesson on computers um, which starts talking about binary and non-binary and gender identity. You might have a lesson on, um, you know, maths that includes, um, you know, sort of references to uh, to gay people or to, um, uh, you know, all, all those kind of things. So this stuff isn't just in the relationship to sex education. So you, so you can't, as short of pulling your child out of school completely, you you kind of you know this stuff isn't confined to the RSE curriculum um, which is even more concerning. And just an example on that at the, at the moment um, in there's a school that I go into to to run a Christian meeting uh, at one lunchtime a week um, it's a state school um, comprehensive school very normal um, on the way in there's a flag um, the only flag there are two flags that I've ever seen fly on that flagpole the school flag and the 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 newest um, diversity flag, the one that includes the trans, not just the rainbow. Um, then from there you go in, and right now, uh, in terms of in either LGBTQ History Month or in Pride, everyone will be wearing rainbow lanyards. Everyone in the staff will be wearing rainbow lanyards. You go through the school. There are TV screens throughout the school, um, and they will have a rolling presentation of. Um, various people from the LGBTQ community, if that actually exists, um, and quotes. Uh, you go past the library. The library has a display of banned books. All of them are about LGBTQ people, whether the Bible is, in fact, the most banned book ever, but that will not be there. Um, you carry on down the corridor, seeing these rolling presentations. You arrive at the classroom. On the outside of the classroom, there's a rainbow diversity thing, which actually says lots of very helpful, nice things. You go into the classroom, Modern Foreign Languages classroom at the back, LGBTQ in Modern Foreign Languages, variety of people um, presented again on the back. And then at the front of the classroom, next to the board, some people are gay, get over it. Some people are lesbian, get over it. Some people are trans, get over it. That is the air that are, all children and teenagers are swimming in. That was a horrible mixed metaphor. Um, that's what's going on all the time. And, and actually, lots of them are sick of it. That would be one of one of my reflections is that they they're being told it so often that they're kind of going, if you have to keep telling me this, I wonder if actually it's not true. Um, and there's and there is a difference between the way in which I'm within our youth groups and schools and the summer holidays that I run, that this is that people are responding to it. The boys and the girls, there is a way there is a real difference in how they're responding to it. Generally, the boys are much more skeptical about the whole thing. Um, because they know they're getting taught one thing in biology classes and then they're being taught something else everywhere else. And they're kind of going, I don't see how this this matches up. Um, but the, the backlash, I think, and that is the, that I think that is an appropriate word, is is not good. In our youth group, we had a, a big, healthy youth group, big bunch of girl, girls from a um, local super selective grammar school, big bunch of boys from a local comprehensive school the girls were all pushing in the sort of identitarian um progressive sort of way and the boys had begun to identify themselves as as like f far rightists and i asked yeah. them why and they said yeah. well it's because i know that men can't be women and women can't be men and i was like whoa whoa whoa, whoa. that is not you need to read some history books, but that is not what it is to be on the far right. 
But because anybody that kind of articulates that is seen and is presented as someone that's way far on the right politically, as opposed to just quite an ordinary person, someone that maybe just thought normal things 10 years ago, five years ago even, or just not normal now. Um, that's how they're beginning to identify themselves. And so they listen to people like Tommy Robinson. They listen to people like that. That's Sorry, this has gone kind of a little bit off where we, where we were, but that's the, that's the reaction that's coming as these boys particularly, but are going, this just isn't true. And they need to hear other voices saying, more sensible voices saying it. Hmm. So it sounds like you guys are in agreement that, you know, we should be really getting behind campaigns like, I mean, you mentioned in Parliament, Lizzie, you know, Conservative MP Miriam Cates has been kind of spearheading a lot of raising concerns about what is um, kind of filtering and feeding into to sex education. Do you think the church should be saying, yep, yeah, she's right, let's jump on board and let's have a kind of top down overhaul because, you know, identitarian wokeness is taking over sex ed? Or, or should we be a bit more cautious before kind of joining that bandwagon? I mean, personally, I feel that it doesn't matter what colour your politics are if you think that there's sense in what she's saying. And if you read through um, the dossier that uh, the new social covenant um, group um, published, then I think it would be almost impossible not to be persuaded by these arguments. I don't think there are kind of... um, ideological arguments behind that I don't think it's a right wing thing necessarily or a a conservative thing to say that we need to have a range of opinions at the table about sex and relationships and I think it's been pushed so much that the sexuality and gender identity movement is a social justice cause because you know teachers and I would say a small proportion of potentially slightly activist teachers or even organisations that are then kind of pushing this to teachers um, are are telling them so. And I think, you know, a lot of these theories are very appealing because they promise justice and inclusion. And as Nick said, you know, I think particularly girls who perhaps in the past have felt, you know, that the the effects of misogyny are real. And I remember being a, a girl at secondary school in the late 90s, early 2000s, where boys were pretty um, grotesque in the way that they treated girls. But this is not the way to respond to those kinds of evils. Leaning into these theories as a solution to the problem of sexism is, is quite damaging. And I think by shaping our classroom's climate of political opinion, teachers implicitly define what, what can be perceived as, as reasonable and acceptable um, and it worries me that um, as teachers, we're a bit afraid of being labelled, you know, right wing or conservative um, when we, we fight against that. Whereas in actual fact, I would hope that we'd garner the support of, of all different political flavours um, in, in fighting against, not, not even just fighting against this ideology, but fighting for a truly kind of pluralistic understanding of different you know, relationships and sex um, education ideas. Julie, what's your take on this question? Yeah, I mean, and I think I think as, as churches, I think we've been a bit behind the curve on this. Um, well, significantly behind the curve. You know, when I first sort of got concerned about the whole relationship sex education thing, it was, it was over 10 years ago. And even my Christian friends thought I was a bit mad. Um, and, you know, and most churches are like, we don't talk about that kind of thing. Um, you know, we, we don't we don't do that. Um, and, and we've missed the opportunity as churches to be teaching sex and relationships God's way um, as a good thing. And so what what's happened is that the, the, the secular world has spoken into that vacuum um, and, and has, has taught a different way and said, you know, God's way is not good this way is better you know sexual revolution um but we're now in a situation where even a number of secular people are are now speaking up and saying actually do you know what sexual revolution it didn't didn't bring what it promised um and actually Mm -hmm. so louise perry um in her book she says that you know um that women and children have are the ones who've been most harmed by this and she talks about needing a, a new morality a new set of virtues and um you know of course we don't need a new set we need to go back to 
what the Bible says and, and you know, what God says is good. Um, so, uh, you know, we absolutely as Christians, we need to be on this and, and we, we should have been on it a, a long time ago. Um, and, and we, you know, we've kept quiet um, and, and allowed the world to educate our children in, in a way that's been really quite harmful. The idea that we want to get involved in the sort of campaigning side of things first, I think is wrongheaded. I'm not saying that we shouldn't get involved in campaigning um, and being involved in trying to help our, to be governors in schools and to help and to be parents who are getting involved in what's going on in schools and to be churches that where possible can speak into those situations. And indeed to support politicians who are um, speaking sensibly and wisely and trying to do that. The biggest thing we can do is to be parents who do this um, and to, as churches, support parents as they, as they try and teach their children what God says about relationships and what he says about what it is to be human. This is a much bigger thing. It's not just about sex. It's not just about gender. This is about what it is to be a human. And what that really means is what that means to be a creature someone that's been created by God, who's received an identity, who's received their very being from him, and that that's a good thing with all of its limitations, with all of its glory. Um, and, and we want to be doing that first and foremost, teaching our children that their identity, first and foremost as creatures, is this inalienable, unbreakable, incredible value because they're a snapshot, a self-portrait of God, not, and that nothing, whether, not their achievements, not their, their abilities or their disabilities or anything else, means that, that that is limited in any way. And so that's the thing that we have to do first as churches and as parents. Um, and, and then from there, actually, that's going to help our children live healthy lives and to flourish. And that then becomes something that the whole world the whole world our neighbors <laughs> to start with can see and that 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 is a good thing and that's a possible plausible thing for us to do it's not easy but we also probably have to start earlier than we think because as, as I think Judy was just saying we missed we've often missed the march this is happening already this is coming at our children when they're in when they're in um, primary school low levels of primary school their exposure not just to things coming from schools but also through social media, through normal TV, through um, through the internet, our teenagers are all—they're all seeing pornography. Their whole view of sex, gender, all of those things um, is being affected by the world from outside much earlier than we think. It's our job as parents and churches to get on the front foot and to start engaging our kids healthily with what God says um, much earlier. Premier Christian Newscast. Premier Christian Newscast. This kind of touches on, I think, one of the key questions that arises in this debate, which is that there are almost kind of two approaches, and one is let's pull our children out from this kind of corrupting, dangerous, confusing world, maybe literally withdraw them from sex ed, and let's retreat. And then the other kind of Christian tradition is saying, no, no, we need to prepare our children to live in this confusing world. And that means send them to the ordinary state school where they're going to have this sex ed, but that but we're going to have to up our game at home in terms of how we act as Christian parents. Do you guys think it is a kind of binary? And if so, which, which is the best path to go down? Lizzie, you're shaking your head. So I don't think it's binary at all. I think that every Christian family needs to make that decision prayerfully, carefully, and where they can in a way that influences not only their own children, but also wider communities. So, for example, um, you know, I'm very privileged that my husband and I know that we can redress any kind of errors that come from school and we're on it in terms of we know what it is that's happening because we read through policies my husband's a governor so he's privy to kind of information and then we try and 
create constructive relationships where we do have issues. And we're very fortunate, actually, our primary school is so moderate and is so responsive to gentle probing and questioning. Um, And we're very happy for our children to go to this school because we feel that we've got those good relationships there. And the work that we do can also benefit the wider school community. That might not be the case for every for every parent and for them it may be more beneficial and more of a witness that actually they have pulled their children out um so i don't think it's i don't think it's a a, a binary decision to uh, to use that that phrase um and i think that you know we all need to seek god's wisdom on what the best thing is for i mean as a christian my concern, although of course I, I I worry about my children, my concern isn't primarily for them because I feel that they will get good teaching at home, at church, within our kind of friendship groups. And I feel that there's enough kind of safeguards around them that they'll have the best chance of um, kind of negotiating and wrestling with these issues with prayerful support. For me, the major concern is the kind of the impact on culture, the impact on society, the impact on other children who may not have um, that kind of biblical framework or even just a kind of pragmatic common sense framework that involves, you know, kind of um, science (laughs) and medicine, um, which you would expect they would have they would get at school. So, um, yeah, I would say that there's there's not one way of addressing this. What's your perspective on that, Julie? Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with, with Lizzie very much. I, th- I think it depends on, on the, the, the school. It depends on your child as well, um, because you know, some children might find it more difficult. Some children might find it, you know, easier to manage. I mean, certainly for me, you know, I, I pulled my children out of the, the sex education part. You know, and, and for me, I felt that was a, a lesson for them. In, in how we have to be different as Christians. And actually, because some people said to me, oh, you know, won't your children feel bad being pulled out of, of those lessons? And, and I was like, but, you know, I'm teaching them that lesson for the future, that actually as Christians, sometimes we have to say, no, you know, I'm, I'm not doing this. Um, but, it, you know, I think I think it is, it is for every parent to decide for, depending on their family situation, their church situation, the, the school um, and, and, and the situation as it evolves as well, you know, because it might be that it comes to a point where you, you know, you think, actually, I can't, the, the, I've had enough now. This, this is this is no good. Um, I, you know, I really, really can't do this. Um, but like Lizzie said, this is not just about our children. You know, I knew to a certain extent, I knew I could teach my children well. But actually, in, in the in the course of kind of looking at what my children were being taught, I then got involved further with the school, discussing what was happening at the school. I then got involved with the county. I then got involved with Lovewise. I then got involved with all sorts of things that I would never have got involved with if I hadn't questioned what my child was going to be learning. Um, so I haven't just hopefully helped my child. I've been able to you know, potentially help uh, other children to, to be able to learn um, some, some good quality, helpful, age-appropriate sex education Nick, uh, hmm. I, in one sense, I I'm in agreement in that we it's useless to say that this is the right course of action. Let's everyone pull out. You know that that's a useless thing. Um, but I do wonder if if sometimes our um, horizons are a bit too small. Um, would we rather? our children were able to go to schools that were more fundamentally, not fundamentalist, but fundamentally Christian in their outlook. And that had a more integrated worldview where God actually is involved um, as opposed to being excluded from just the, 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 the way in which we think about the world. And I wonder if, our forebears in the past would have said, well, we're going to set up a school. And it would have been hard, and it was hard, but they did it. Now, there was a lot less regulation, and they were probably paying a lot less tax, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that's the, that's the conclusion I keep coming to, is that I wish I didn't have to choose between homeschooling in a way that we, as a family, don't really feel equipped to do, 
and sending to schools where it's not just the sex education that's a problem. It's the fact that if a local secondary school to us, if a girl um, decides she wants to be a boy, she will walk in to assembly the next week and they will stand up and cheer and applaud and holler at how good a decision that is. That's like, that's the, again, that's the air people are breathing all the time. And I'm not sure that that's a choice that I really, and it's the choice that our parents are facing in our churches all the time. What do we do? Do I send my girl there or do I try and do something else? And when, yeah, and so my my thought is that I wish we were a bit braver and perhaps to, to yeah, to, to set up some schools that might need some real imagination as to what we're doing. Maybe they're three day a week schools. Maybe they're two day a week schools. I, I don't know that that would help us to begin to do that. And yeah, that's, that's kind of spitballing, but I'm not sure the answer is just one of those two. Pull your kids out entirely or pile into um, state schools and hope for the best. I think that's a really interesting point, Nick. I think um, there has been an explosion of new Christian schools that have been kind of launched or are kind of in their um, early stages and um, I know the Christian Schools Trust has been incredibly supportive in, in helping to establish these. And um, I think you're right. I think that is also a really, a really good kind of avenue to explore. Um, and, you know, I would certainly be open to considering that kind of option as well. I think the thing I would like to say, though, is that we need to attack this on all fronts. So it's not that you know, there are just options for the children. I think, you know, my my role is, as representing and supporting Christian teachers, I don't want all Christian teachers to kind of pull away from the maintained sector or the independent sector and go and, you know, just work in Christian schools. I would like more and more Christians to be involved at the short face, on the front line, um, you know, engaging with children who are vulnerable, who are perhaps you know, going to be vulnerable to these ideologies, particularly, I think, you know, young girls who are perhaps um, struggling with uh, some of the uh, some of the um, demands of what it means to be a young girl in today's society. Um, and I think, you know, I worry that teachers are going to be scared out of the profession because of what they perceive the requirements to be or of the pressure that they're put under by their schools um, and I I would hope and pray that that we can support as many Christians in the teaching profession to stay in as long as they feel able and as long as their consciences would allow them because they will be the ones that can start to disrupt this echo chamber you know, the more teachers speak out of course in a courteous and a gentle pragmatic and informed way but the more they can speak out, the more we will gain some traction on this. And at the moment, and often supported or led by teaching unions, these ideologies, which are pervasive and powerful, they are often the things that are presented as the only things that teachers can exhort um, in the classroom as well as in the staff room. Mm. Do, do any of you guys worry on this that that the church is slipping into being kind of co-opted into a culture war, potentially imported across the Atlantic? And while we might share a lot of the concerns that some of the kind of political actors in this space have, actually we have quite different agenda as as Christians. Um, you know, I, I look across at America and you see there's quite an established kind of network of Christian schools and universities. Kind of the church has really picked up kind of Nick's challenge, I think, in, in the last kind of thirty forty years. Um, and has that had the effect of kind of narrowing the church to become associated with a very particular kind of politics, a very particular kind of cultural approach? D yeah, does any of that kind of raise fears for you? Or do you think actually the stakes are too high to be put off by our kind of British queasiness about these issues? So let me let me remind you, let me allay some fears. We are not the US and we have... <laughs> That that is not meant to be offensive. I have many American friends who I love dearly, but um, constitutionally, um, from a from a governmental perspective, from um, a um, statutory perspective, we are not in the same position as 
um, the different states in the US are. Thankfully, we we do operate under a relatively, I'm not going to say completely, but a relatively ameliorative kind of legal system. You know, a lot of stuff that's in the statutes surrounding sex and relationships education is pretty good. And there's explicit provision for teaching to be pluralistic, to be non-politically partisan, to be age appropriate. And of course, that is being reviewed at the moment with regards to this. So, and I think in the States, there's a lot more on either extreme. Um, And I don't want to get into that kind of stuff. So we are not in that place. However, I think it is also easy in this day and age of social media to get sucked into divisive culture wars. There is a culture war going on, but obviously we know who's who's it who's on the other side. And um, you know, the devil loves to to goad and he loves to get us hot and bothered. We just need to stick to what the Bible says and communicate that in in the most gracious way we can, knowing that ultimately, you know, law won't save us ultimately we we just have to kind of keep our heads down hold hold tight to the truth and do our very best to be christ's ambassadors in a really difficult context i i i really appreciate what you're saying there in terms of whether you want to call it a culture war or not the bible calls it a spiritual war Mm. Uh, yeah yeah it's a spiritual battle that we're in and interesting, so like Ephesians speaks about this spiritual battle, but it's really interesting the way that, so Ephesians starts and ends with this massive cosmic view of what's going on. Beginning, Jesus is going to win. Everything's going to be brought into unity under him. The end, you've got the armor of God. We're back in this sort of cosmic battle going on. And in between, the the answer that God puts forward, that the apostle puts forward, is that one by one, people by people, we're going to be brought to faith in Jesus Christ we're going to become a new humanity that the church is going to be built. And that plays out in loving each other in families, in husbands and wives and children and parents and, and the way that we work with one another and submit to one another and, and love one another and speak the truth. And it's incredibly ordinary. That's the spiritual battle as it plays out, as we hold fast to the gospel, the good news that's been proclaimed, the truth, um, faith, righteousness, and and I guess I I think I, I wish that we were kind of more focused on that ordinary stuff and that would see, actually, Julie, you've just articulated the way in which it happened in your life. You cared about loving your children. You were doing the thing where you were saying, I'm gonna I'm gonna look after you. And out of that has flowed loads of good, positive things, which has actually taken you on to caring for other people's children with your work with love love wise and and, and other things. And, and I would want us to to see that as our as our kind of battleground um, rather than culture war stuff. And I also think it's much more positive. I don't really want to have a fight with people. I'm not trying to have a fight with people. I want to build. I want to I want to do what humans were put here to do in glorifying God by cultivating a garden, not just a garden, but everything. He's given us children, people. Uh, communities, friendship groups, churches to grow and love and build. And I, I think that's a much more positive view that we could have. Let's let's do that. And yeah, where we have opportunity to speak the truth into the world, of course, but to live it, um, live this kind of spiritual battle by by living our ordinary lives in an extraordinary, renewed way because of what Jesus has done. One of the last things just before we come to an end, what we haven't touched on is, is um, what can we do? Presuming most people listening here are going to be adults, not children. What can we do to encourage young people? I mean, listening to you talking about, particularly Nick, what you're saying about the kind of air that, that children are breathing at schools. You know, it, it was tough when I was a teenager to be one of the only kind of evangelical Christians in my year of 180 kids. And, and, and that had it always is always going to have its challenges, but it must be even harder now to hold on to kind of traditional orthodox biblical teaching on, on human identity and flourishing and sex relationships. What can we do as grown ups to kind of encourage, support, uphold young Christian teenagers in particular as they kind of try and navigate this, this cultural moment we're in? I think I think one of the 
one of the really important things is don't wait till they're teenagers. <laughs> is that is I think Nick said this earlier. You know, is we've got to start this young. I don't mean teaching children about sex young because we don't want to do that, obviously. But laying the foundations. So you know, children when when our children are young, they listen to us. They 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 hear what we say. They believe what we say. We can lay really strong foundations. If we're laying yeah. those really strong biblical foundations of who they are in Christ, they're created by God. Their bodies are created by God. That um that you know God is in in control. God's in charge. Um and we're laying those foundations. Then we can build on that as they get older. Then you can kind of as the sort of you know subjects come up as the opportunities arise you can build on that teaching them god's way for relationships and how things should be um you know if we wait till they're teenagers it's too late because teenagers you know part of being a teenager is that grown-ups know nothing um especially my parents um and and they they you know they do still listen to us but they like to pretend that they don't um but actually they're much more likely to listen to you if the foundation has been there and if you're living it out as well because actually the way we live as christian parents husband and wives you know our relationships with 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 each other that speaks a whole lot more than what we might say um so if we're living out god's good plans for relationships um then then you know that's good and obviously you know, not everybody is in that situation. You know, some people, have, for, for whatever reason, are single parents or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But actually, if that's the situation, maybe there are other families that you can spend time with so that your children can sort of, you know, see, uh, you know, how um, families work and how, you know, things, um, how God intends things to be. Um, so I think, you know, I think that's what I would say you know, start laying the foundations young um, and be really intentional about it. Don't just wait till the questions arise, but be intentional. I would say um, I agree with everything Julie's just said. I think it's essential that as Christians, we don't buy into the lie of the world that children can autonomously make wise decisions and that they don't need shepherding and leading. You know, I think... The Bible gives really good teaching, really good advice on this. It makes clear that children need to be taught, instructed, they need to be disciplined and they don't instinctively know what is the right, wise, sensible choice. And, you know, I know that from my own childhood and teenage years. Um, and I thank God that he in his mercy, he saved me from the some of the decisions I could have made um, and that he also redeemed me from some of the awful decisions I did make. Um, so I guess, yeah, I would pray that parents lovingly discipline their children. And it's not always easy at the time, is it? But I think in future years, if that is done with that kind of bedrock of godly love and care and grace, then that's something that in Christian families we can uh, we can build on to to really to to help bring up wise godly adults who you know have a firm foundation in christ um i've got three things i think to say to adults in churches um and the first one i think really just riffs off of what lizzie was saying in terms of like parents are primary god's plan throughout the bible is well throughout creation it's not just the Bible tells us, but it's his plan for the, all of creation has been that parents would raise their children to know him and worship him. It's the plan in Genesis. It's the plan in Deuteronomy. It's the plan in Ephesians. It's the plan. And um, our job, what, whatever adults we are in the church, whether we're in church leadership, whether we're grandparents, whether we're people that are, that are single and have not yet had kids, one of the things that we can do is to help our parents equip children and teach children. And parents, I think, feel out of their depth a lot of the time and they don't know what's going on. And so churches, both leadership and the congregations, to be working hard with parents, to equip the parents to be having these conversations, to be taking extra special time to do that. This is a massive battle that our parents and children are in. So the the first thing would be that we'd equip parents because they are primary. They're God's plan to disciple the children that God has given us. So maybe we should work with that plan because it's a very good one. 
So parents is number one. Number two is what we're teaching our children in churches. So there'll be loads of Sunday school teachers listening to this, I'd imagine. Um, I spent I spent most of my time doing children and youth work, teaching books of the Bible, verse by chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And that's really good. But I'm not sure it helps our teenagers build um, a kind of synthesized worldview. So to actually stop and spend a term thinking about what it is to be human, what does God intend for men and women and for us, how do we relate to each to each other? There's some fantastic materials being built on being done on that sort of thing now. Um, so Faith in Kids run by Ed Drew um, has come up with a, a, resource, a Who Am I resource. I'm sure there are other resources out there, but um, that, those are fantastic. And they're not just they are thoroughly biblical, but they're trying to synthesize everything that God says to help our children to be able to go into school listen to their own thinking and to go yeah how does that how does that play out compared to what God says because his voice is the one I really want to listen to and then lastly this is much more informal and much harder to kind of work out exactly how you do this children need to know adults who are Christian young men need to know older Christian women and older Christian men to see what it looks like to live the Christian life. And it makes it possible, plausible. It gives them a vision of what it would look like to be an adult Christian. And so one of the big things that I'd love to encourage adults to do in this situation is to get to know the young people in their churches. Like, don't just look out for newcomers. Look out for the young Christians, for the five-year-old, the seven-year-old, the 14-year-old, and get to know them in your church context. Obviously doing that in a safe way, in a sensible way, with parents, etc., etc. But that would be a fantastic thing because it, it helps um, children and teenagers who are finding it hard to be a Christian now see what it would look like in the future. And actually often it's a very attractive thing. Um, yeah, so those, those would be my three things for adults to do. Um, Thanks, Nick. That's really helpful. Um, I'm afraid we run out of time, so I'm, it's a really fascinating conversation. We could, I'm sure, we could carry on chatting for a while, but uh, I must uh, draw this conversation to a close. So, thank you very much, Nick. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Lizzie, as well. It's been um, really interesting to hear your thoughts and, and your expertise on this topic. Um, I've really enjoyed it. I hope the listeners have as well. Um, uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, bye bye. That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use. And why not also tell a friend about the show? Don't forget to also subscribe to the podcast on your phone or tablet to ensure that you receive each episode automatically sent to your device week by week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 